Amen. I hope that it is well with your soul indeed. If you're uh, in Kids in the Rock, you can go. Miss Michaela is back at the back door with her hand in the air. So you guys can go that way. And Excited to be here. You may not have noticed, but they put me a platform right here. So I'm, I'm happy to announce this morning, I am now 5'10". Today we're going to continue in our study of Galatians as we've been walking through the book of Galatians. Uh, we go verse by verse, section by section here at this church. We've gone through Acts before Galatians and then 1 Peter through before Acts and we went through John and several different books. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 and we're going to begin in verse 11. We did verses 1 through 10 last week. And verses 11 through 21, which is the end of the, of the chapter, chapter 2 of Galatians, is all one unit. And it's here at the latter part of this section that we come to really the central point of the book of Galatians. Starting in about verse 15 or 16 down through 21, Paul is going to give us uh, one of the clearest presentations of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And, and so we're not going to get to all of it today because there's so much here, but we're going to read all of 11 through 21 because it's a single unit, and then we're going to work through the first part this week. We'll reference the second part, and uh, we'll get to the second part of it next week. And I'm going to be talking about some things that we've referenced in chapter 1 and earlier in chapter 2 as well. So if you weren't here for those sermons, they're on the church's website. You can go and look at them as well. So, so far in Galatians... Paul has gone on the offensive. There were these men called Judaizers that had come into the churches of Galatia, the churches that Paul and Barnabas founded in Acts, and they were teaching that if the Gentiles were to be right with God, to be in the faith community, to be in covenant with God, that faith in Jesus Christ alone was not enough. To be saved, these teachers taught, as a Gentile, you must trust in Jesus and you must be circumcised, you must live according to the Jewish laws, the Jewish tradition, you must live and walk according to the customs of the Jews as God's covenant people have always done. So these Judaizers, what they're called, were denying the gospel by adding works to salvation for the Gentiles. So in chapter 1, Paul told us anyone... He said, if we or an angel from heaven preaches a different gospel, a gospel other than what we preach to you, he says, let them be accursed. We're to see them as cursed under God. And then next, Paul began in chapter 1 to lay out the case that his gospel, the gospel that he was preaching, that he had preached to the Gentiles of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, didn't come from another apostle. It didn't come from somebody else that he learned and, and took the message from. It came from Jesus Christ himself. And we saw that as he laid out his conversion on the Damascus Road, and then he laid out his, the early years of his ministry and how he had little to no contact with the apostles. His gospel came from a calling and a commission of Jesus Christ, the risen Christ himself. And then last week in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul said that when he finally did get to Jerusalem and set his gospel before the other apostles in Jerusalem, he says they didn't add anything to it. 
all the apostles, James and Peter and all the elders of the church at Jerusalem, they all agreed with Paul's gospel, the gospel that Paul was preaching, I should say. And he tells us in that section that they didn't even force Titus, who was Paul's Gentile companion, to be circumcised. So the apostles agreed on what the gospel was. They were, all in, they were all unified of the true gospel. And he's telling the Galatians this because the Judaizers were saying, Paul, was, Paul has corrupted the true gospel. The true gospel came from Jerusalem and we have it. Paul's saying, no, no, mine came from Jesus and all the Jerusalem apostles agree with me. Now, as we continue in verse 11... He's going to show us and show the Galatians that although the apostles, the Jerusalem apostles, agreed with the gospel Paul was preaching, the authority of the gospel doesn't come from the apostles just because they say so. It comes from God. It comes from Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the authority over all people everywhere, including the apostles themselves. And because of that fact... All believers, even the Jerusalem apostles, even Peter, must strive to live by that gospel. So let's read verses 11 through 21. It says this, But when Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, James was the leader of the Jerusalem church, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The ESV ends the quotation marks here. I don't think that's correct. Uh, NASB and NIV continue the quotation all the way to 21. I think all, uh, 14 all the way to 21 is Paul's quote to Peter. He tells Peter, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also, he's telling Peter, we as Jews also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because works of the law, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, meaning the Jewish customs, Jewish laws, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, I just pray that you would help us to have clarity today. God, I, help us, uh, I pray that you would help us to see what your word is saying, not what I'm saying, not our, our thoughts and hearts. God, we're here to hear from you. And so, God, I pray that you would speak and that you would uh, make it clear to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we talk about living in step with the gospel... Paul first shows us, I think, in verse 11, 
He shows us the authority of the gospel. In, in the flow of Paul's argument through Galatians, this really is the main point of this section. Paul has the boldness to rebuke Peter because the gospel has authority, even over Peter, even over the apostles. Paul wants the Galatians to know that his gospel, the gospel that he's preached to them that's being denied right now by these false teachers, is not just Paul's opinion or Paul's preference. The gospel message by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, is not Paul's opinion or his preference. It is authoritative for all time, for all people, in all places, even those who were held in high esteem by the Judaizers like the Jerusalem apostles. So when Peter walks in a way that is not in step with the gospel, Paul calls him out by the authority of the gospel. Not only does Paul correct Peter, but in verse 11, it says he stood condemned. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Some of your translations will say Peter was in the wrong but the word is condemned. It's, it's harsh language. Peter was acting wrongly before God. He was denying the gospel in his actions. So what was it that Peter was doing that was out of step with the gospel? As we examine this, looking through this text, we ourselves are going to see the danger of denying the gospel in our actions. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So at some point, it's probably in Acts 11. I'll show you if you want to come see me afterward. Peter came to the church in Antioch. Remember the church in Antioch was where Paul and Barnabas were, were pastoring that church and were sent out from that church as missionaries to all of the regions. And this was their home church. We saw that as we walked through the book of Acts. And this church was made up in Antioch, was made up of both Jew and Gentile. They were worshiping together. And while Peter was there, Peter regularly ate with the Gentiles. He probably ate pork and bacon and all that good stuff too. I bet he loved it. I know I would have loved it. <laughs> Among the Gentiles in Antioch, Paul, um, Paul, Peter laid aside the cleanliness laws, the ceremonial laws, which forbade Jews from eating certain kind of foods and with certain kind of people, Gentiles specifically. And it's not surprising that Peter would do this. In Acts 10, Jesus gave Peter a vision showing him that Gentiles were no longer to be seen as unclean. You remember the sheet coming down with all the unclean foods on it? And Peter says, no, I can't eat any of that. And Jesus said, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. And then Jesus sent Peter to a Gentile's house, Cornelius's house. And Peter preached and God saved the whole household, bringing Gentiles into the family of God. So of course, Peter you know, Peter would, would be eating with Gentiles in Antioch. It's really a no-brainer. He knows that they're believers in Christ just as he is. They're members of the covenant community, just like Jewish Christians are. But something strange happens here. Some men from Jerusalem come. The text says from James, who is the leader of the Jerusalem church, Jesus' half-brother. But, but when these prominent Jewish men come to Antioch, Peter begins drawing back from the Gentiles and not eating with them, not fellowshipping with them like he was. 
He's, he's falling back into his old traditions, into the old ceremonial law, to the old Jewish customs, to the old laws about how to stay clean before God. He's falling back into what he knows. And Paul says by doing that, Peter's not walking straight, not in step with the gospel, and he stood condemned. You see, by drawing back from the Gentiles, Peter was acting as if the Gentile Christians were still unclean. He was acting as if fellowshipping with Gentiles would make him unclean. He was effectively saying that following Jewish purity laws made people more clean than just faith in Jesus alone. Now, to be honest, it's hard to see why Peter would do this. I mean, Jesus himself told Peter Gentiles were clean by trusting in the gospel. What would drive Peter to act this way? Paul tells us at the end of verse 12, is fear. He feared those of the circumcision party. He feared man more than God. Now, that is incredible to me. I mean, we all know Peter's had his issues in the past, right? You know, he denied Jesus. He, he was the apostle that's probably going to stick his foot in his mouth when the time came. But this is, this is the same Peter who stood boldly against the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. There, Peter wasn't afraid of the ruling council of the Jews who could have killed him. He said, look, whether it's, uh, whether it's right to obey you or obey God, you decide. But we're going to do what Jesus told us to do. We're going we're gonna to speak of what we've seen and heard. There, Peter wasn't afraid. In Acts 11, he defended going to Cornelius' house against people, it says, from the circumcision party that said, you're not supposed to be eaten with Gentiles. He defended himself before them in Acts 11. And now he's afraid of these men, the ones who say they're from James. Acts 15, in Acts 15, James says, they, they went out from us, but we didn't send them. Peter was afraid of these men. And that fear caused him to fall back into the old patterns of his Jewish traditions, the ceremonial laws. He was protecting himself. He didn't want to offend them. Paul calls this action hypocrisy because his conduct is not in step with the gospel. In verse 13, it says, The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, along with Peter. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter's actions denied the truth of the gospel. Peter's actions said, Jesus is not enough to completely cleanse a Gentile before God. He was acting as if his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ were still unclean sinners that he couldn't eat with. If you guys want to be truly clean and righteous, you better start living like Jews. His actions told the church at Antioch that if you want to fellowship with me, you need something more than Jesus. Now, make sure you understand this. If you would have asked Peter... I guarantee you, he would have said, I don't believe that at all. I know that faith in Jesus alone justifies. 
I know that Gentiles are full members of God's covenant family and that Gentiles are clean in Christ. Peter believed the truth of the gospel. He preached the truth of the gospel. He was not a false brother like the Judaizers were that were told in verse 2 of Galatians 2. He's simply a believer who is acting hypocritically. His actions and his practice are inconsistent with what he himself believes, what he himself teaches. Why? Because he's afraid. And because Peter did this, he influenced others to do likewise. It says the rest of the Jewish Christians there in Antioch began to follow suit. Paul says even Barnabas was carried away into this. Can you, can you hear the pain in Paul's voice, his, his words right here? Even Barnabas, my good friend, my close companion in the work, one of the pastors of the church in Antioch, the guy who ministered to both Jew and Gentile in Antioch for years, he even fell into this. Fear of man caused them to act hypocritically, to live differently than what they truly believed. And Paul doesn't hold back his rebuke. He says, by this action, he says, their conduct was not in step with the gospel. Literally, it's translated, they weren't walking straight according to the gospel. All of these guys, Peter and Barnabas, presumably the Jewish Christians there in Antioch as well, they truly believed the gospel, but their actions were denying it. They weren't living according to the truth that they believed. Now, this is incredibly serious. So Paul confronts Peter publicly and boldly. And look what he says in verse 14. He says, by your actions, Peter, you're forcing the Gentiles to live like Jews. The end of verse 14. If you... A Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul uses the same word here, to force or to compel, that he used earlier in verse 3 of this chapter when he said Titus wasn't forced to be circumcised. Do you see Paul's point? He's saying by not living according to what you believe and what you teach in the gospel, you're denying the gospel and you're forcing the Gentiles to live like Jews. You're telling them that Jesus is not enough. Now, when we read this and we understand the situation, we can all just give a hearty amen for sure. Peter should have walked in the gospel. He should have feared God rather than man. But I want you to think about this. Peter received divine revelation telling him that the Gentiles were clean before God in the gospel. That the food laws were done away with in Christ. Peter stood strong in the face of death before the Sanhedrin in Acts 4. Peter defended his going to the Gentiles before the apostles and the circumcision party in, in the book of Acts. But here, because he's afraid, he's slipping right back into the traditions, into his into his. Judaism, and he's denying the gospel in his actions. And Barnabas is pictured all through the New Testament as a godly leader, an encourager, a faithful man, a faithful pastor of a church filled with Jews and Gentiles. Barnabas is faithful in every respect, everywhere we see him in the New Testament. But here he's also falling back into the same actions. If it can happen to them, it is the height of pride and foolishness to think that it doesn't happen to us. It is so easy 
to be swept away by our emotions in the midst of a crisis and forget what we have in Christ. To forget who we are in Christ. To forget what God has promised us in Christ. It's easy to be afraid of what other people say or think so that we walk or think or act in ways that are not consistent with the very gospel that we believe. It's easy to start thinking that our works are adding to our standing or our righteousness before God. It's easy to deny another believer's standing when, when, when we're mad at them. It's easy to be divisive in fellowship when things aren't going exactly our way. Understand, there's no Christian, no leader, no pastor, no saint that is immune to this. We battle it all the time. All of us, from the pulpit all the way to the back door. I should start saying from the pulpit to the side door. We all have areas in our life where we're not walking in step with the gospel. One of the biggest issues and goals of Christian counseling and discipleship in general is getting Christians to see how the gospel applies to their situation, their relationship, or whatever issue is going on. That's the goal. Our goal in growing in Christ is to be more and more consistent in our thinking, in our hearts, and in our actions with the truth of the gospel that we profess and that we believe. For example, the husband and wife in a troubled marriage where each thinks that their spouse should be fulfilling the deepest needs of their heart need to be brought back to the gospel. Only Jesus can do that for you. Your husband can't do that for you. Your wife can't do that for you. And Jesus has done that for you in the gospel. When, when we face, I don't know, when, when continued disappointments in this life turn our hearts bitter, we need to see how God has given us his fullness in the gospel. And the God who is in control of all things is now our father who loves us as he loves his own son if we're in Christ. And he's in control even over the disappointments of this life. When two believers have strife against one another, they need to be brought back to the gospel to remember that, hey, Jesus paid for that other person's sin as well. And if that person is perfectly forgiven before a holy God, why can't you forgive them? Is Jesus' payment not enough? The person who struggles just feeling hopeless and in despair, they need to be brought back to the gospel and shown where hope is found, the only hope. The person who is prideful about their good works should be brought back to the gospel and shown that outside of Jesus, we have no righteousness. But in Him, we have His perfect righteousness. We could go on and on and on and on about examples of people who are not walking in the gospel, how we don't walk in the gospel. But all these problems and all these behaviors and all these issues are simply people acting and thinking in a way that is contrary to what they truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though we believe the gospel fully, believer, in our thinking, in the way we respond to situations, in the way that we act through trial, through circumstances, through all kinds of things, we often say, our actions often say, the way we're thinking often says, Oh, but I need something more than Jesus. 
Yes, yes, yes. I got the whole gospel thing. I know Jesus paid it all. I know he's all I need. I know all that. But I need this too. That's denying the gospel. Growing in Christ, believer. You've often heard said from this pulpit and in our discipleship ministries here that there is no deeper theology than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no deeper experience with God than being in Christ. Growing in Christ means that our thinking and our actions and our responses and our heart becomes more and more and more in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what maturing looks like. One of the most fundamental applications of this text that we're dealing with today is unity. Unity and fellowship in the body of Christ. Peter didn't want to eat with the Gentiles. He thought it was making, he knew that it wasn't making him unclean, but he was scared of these people who did think it was making him unclean. Like Peter, when we add our own traditions, our own rules, our own preferences, before we will have fellowship and unity with other people who have been born again into the kingdom of God by Jesus Christ, we're denying the gospel. When we hold grudges against one another, as believers in Christ, brothers and sisters, we're denying the gospel. Jesus either died for that person's sin or he did not. When we seek fulfillment in other people or other things or anything other than Christ, we're denying the gospel. And the reality is, we do it all the time. And I certainly am not wagging my finger at you. We all do it all the time. I can look back at just this last week or two in moments of despair that I've had or moments of doubt or moments of worry or moments of, uh, of just reacting wrongly to a situation or a conversation. And it all boils down to I want something more than Jesus. We are being hypocrites. I am a hypocrite. A man invited his neighbor to church one Sunday. And the neighbor said, I'm not going to that church. It's filled to the brim with hypocrites. And he said, oh, it's not full. We got room for one more. <laughs> we believe the truth of the gospel. Understand that. We believe it. We hold to it. We're staking our very souls, our eternal life on it. But so often we're not walking in it. And in reality, there's areas of all of our lives where we're just hypocrites, where I'm a hypocrite. That's why we have trouble in our marriages, in our relationships with one another. It's why we lose heart when trials come. It's why we grow bitter and critical, having critical spirit when, when everything just doesn't go the way that I want it to go. We often think and act in ways that contradict what we believe. In Jesus, I have it all. God is in control. He is my Father. He loves me. No weapon formed can come against me. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. You pick your promise. It's true in Christ. We all have these blind spots, and I do as well, in how we live and how we respond to the things in this life. What we need is to be reminded of the truth of the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. The gospel is our only hope. The gospel is not just a message for unbelievers. It's the heartbeat of every Christian life. It's the heartbeat of discipleship, of growing, of living for Christ. It's the lifeline that we have to hold on to. 
We have to apply the gospel and walk in it in every aspect of our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, in our interactions with our neighbors, in our parenting, in our occupations, in our trials, in our disappointments, and yes, in our failures. We can still walk in the gospel. In every area, every circumstance, the gospel must be the lens through which we see everything. We can't try to find our identity or our peace or our fulfillment in anything other than Christ. That's what Peter is doing. He's scared of these men. Hebrews 13, it says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We have nothing to fear if God is in control. If God is is our Father. If God has forgiven our sin completely and totally, if we're righteous before him in Jesus Christ, what can man do to me? Jesus is all we need. When the person I'm in relationship with, with, whether it be my wife or my neighbor or my whatever, when they wrong me, when they when they don't fulfill all my expectations, when there's disappointments that come, I still understand I have all things in Christ God has not forgotten me. God has not left me. When when we can't stop fighting with each other, James 4 says, what causes all these fights and quarrels among you? He says, you want and you don't have, so you murder. And he says, you have not because you ask not. God is in control. He is my Father. He is all we need. And He is enough. I should, as, look, I had, I had a pretty good disappointment this week. I should, as a believer in Christ, as a believer, not pastor, not what, just a believer in Christ, I should be able to look a disappointment in the face and say, that's disappointing. But Jesus is enough. He's enough for me. He is enough to give us fulfillment and purpose in this life. We have all things in Christ. And it is so easy for my heart To fall back into thinking that Jesus is great, but there's something else I'm missing that denies the gospel. So, real quickly, how do we fix it? How do we identify areas in our lives and start walking in step with the gospel? Quite simply, we need to hear the gospel repeatedly and believe the gospel repeatedly over and over and over again. And I don't mean from this microphone. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to read the word of God for ourselves. Don't take it as gospel truth just because Jason says it from a microphone. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. It's the gospel that rescues us when we're not walking in step with it. And the gospel protects us from walking out of step with the gospel. Listen, when Paul sees all this happening, he confronts Peter boldly and reminds Peter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's how we disciple one another. The first thing that Paul does is show Peter how his actions are inconsistent with the gospel that Peter himself believes and teaches. In verse 14 it says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This would have stung Peter. The word that's translated in the ESV, live like Jews, 
is a single word, and you've heard it before. Judaize. Paul tells Peter, if you live like a Gentile, how is it that you're forcing the Gentiles to Judaize? Peter's actions are denying the gospel in the same way that the Judaizers' teaching was denying it. But here's the point. Here's what I want you to see. Paul doesn't correct Peter by giving him more laws to follow or by giving him more rules to follow. He doesn't tell Peter, Peter, you're condemned. You're standing condemned before God. Your actions aren't in accordance with the gospel. So in order to be right before God, you better start eating with the Gentiles again. You better renounce all your Jewish traditions and all your ceremonial laws. you got to get rid of all that stuff. Paul does what we have to do in our own hearts and for each other. He confronts Peter by reminding him of the truth of the gospel. He says, how can you force them to live like Jews? And he says, we ourselves. Paul's talking to Peter. He's looking him in the eyes. And as Jews, he says, we as Jews ourselves by birth were Jews and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know. You and me know, Peter, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see what he's saying? Peter, don't you remember what you believe? Don't you remember what you've been teaching? Don't you remember the gospel? Don't you remember that even as Jews, you and I aren't made right by the law or by our ethnicity or by our practices or by our traditions? Don't you remember that the Gentiles have been justified just like we have been justified by faith in Christ? Paul led Peter back to his own convictions, to the truth of the gospel that Peter himself believed. And that's what we need today. We need to hear the gospel anew. I need to hear the gospel anew. Let me tell you something. When you're hurting and trial is coming like a flood and you don't know which way to turn, I understand. When somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you've got the gospel. You've got Christ. You're you're righteous in Christ and God is for you. That sounds like just pie in the sky cliche, but that is the most incredible truth that could ever be applied to whatever situation that you're going through. If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, if you've trusted in Christ, if you've been born again, Jesus died for your sins. He died for all of your sins. Even the sins you don't even know you have. Even the sins you don't know you're going to commit 20 years from now. He knows you. He knows the darkest part of your heart and he saved you. And he paid for that sin. And our God is in control of all things. I don't care what you're seeing on the news. Our God is in control. And he loves you perfectly. And he loves your brothers and sisters perfectly as well. And you are, as Colossians 2 says, made complete in Jesus Christ. He is all that you need in this life and in the next. 
Yes, you will have trials. Yes, you will have heartaches. Yes, you will have tribulations. Yes, we all, none of us are walking in the gospel perfectly and we all stumble in many ways, as James says. And every time a new trial or a new thing comes or fear wells up in us, we're going to, we're going to have a tendency to stray from the gospel into worry, into fear, into actions that deny the gospel. But we have a way to right the ship. When the storm comes and it blows you off course, you're given the North Star to steer back to. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've been made complete in Him. He's all that you need. And you cannot add not one tiny iota of anything to what Jesus Christ has given you in His death and His resurrection. I don't care how wonderful you try to live or how great a ministry that you build or what godly work that you do, you cannot add not one single thing to what Christ has done. He is enough and broken believer, struggling with sin, you can't take anything away from it either. He is enough. He is enough to atone for your sin and believer in fellowship with one another. Yes, he's enough to atone for your brother or sister's sin as well. If they're a believer in Christ, it's been paid in full. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I need that atonement. Now we're going to pick up in verse 15 next week. So we're going to go back and get 15 again, 15, 16 through 21, and look at the rest of what Paul tells Peter. But verse 16 ends with Paul reminding Peter what he already knows. Works of the law can't justify you. In fact, works of the law, by them no one will be justified. Maybe that's the truth you need to hear today. Today, if you leave here and say, you know, I, I like that church and that little short guy's loud so I can hear what he's saying and I just had a great time, whatever, and you leave and say, you know what, that God thing, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try to live better. Good. That's not going to help you none. It's not going to help you get to heaven. It's not going to help you be right with God. All the work that you could possibly do will not cancel out not a single sin, not a single one. Only Jesus can do that. So you must trust in him. No one, zero people will be justified by the works of the law. You must trust in Christ and by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be, not could be, will be saved. Trust in Jesus and give him your heart today. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you that we have all things in Christ. We thank you that as believers, we, the gospel is for us. It's for us to hear over and over. It's for us to attune our hearts to, our minds to. God, you have given us everything, and we, we cannot express our thankfulness to you in words that do it justice. You are so great. You are so good, and you have loved us with a love that is incomprehensible. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for allowing us to be your people. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Help us walk in the truth of what we have received by trusting in Jesus. Help us to see the gospel in our relationships and in our life and in our actions and all that we do. God, we want to be informed by the truth of your word. And Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you,
that hasn't trusted in you, that's been trying to do better or be better. God, we're thankful that people want to be better. We as believers want to be better. And we know that our works are evidence of our salvation. So we see your hand in our lives as you're making us more and more holy. But we know that works cannot save us. So God, if there are people here that are thinking, I just need to get this right or that right, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would show them the cross, and that you would draw their heart to you in faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they would call upon your name and be saved. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. And Lord, as we worship you right now, God, let our hearts just be filled with the awe and the wonder of who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be standing right over here. If you want to come, please do so. Will you stand with me?